Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson. And if you missed it earlier on today, uh, our good friend and colleague Amanda Dixon uh, penned a piece searching for zero. Uh, that zero share, net zero in terms of emissions. And uh, she had a, just a fascinating conversation with Tom Carter, who serves as Governor Spencer Cox's energy advisor uh, and the executive director of the governor's office of energy development. And uh, Tom was uh, kind enough to join us today uh, so we can continue with the conversation, stay with the question a little bit longer. Tom, thanks for stopping in. Hey, it's good to be with you, Boyd. So as we as we look at this, uh, of course, a lot of people kind of go to the extremes of the conversations when it comes to getting to, to net zero and those kinds of goals. Uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me uh, was your focus on that the that the market and the people are really going to drive all of this stuff in the end. Yeah, I mean that's the key, right, Boyd? That uh, regulation and taxation have have never really solved any problems here in in this country. And and I think we should be proud of that. I think when when people decide this is what they want, when the market decides this is the direction they want to go, then we'll, we'll, uh, we're excited about that. And government should get out of the way of that. And and as an administration, we should encourage what the direction the market is going, but we shouldn't try and manipulate the market. We should engage in, 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 uh, in quality conversations to ensure that we understand the direction the market is going. But at the end of the day, um, we should let the market choose our path. Yeah, I think that's so it's so important and uh so so let's talk about some examples of that in terms of where uh that has worked well and where maybe the government government intervention has has slowed things down in terms of making that progress. Well, I think one great example is California. Uh and I know that we we all like to bag on California a little bit here in Utah, but I don't I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Um I don't think your listeners do either. Um you know, so California has these these really um these really advanced goals about moving to to as much green and renewable energy as possible as quickly as possible, and that that's laudable, right? We appreciate that that how how they want to move forward. But let me tell you what's happening in the energy market over there, in comparison to Utah. We saw this all summer long, where they had now it had to do with both energy markets, um, uh, durability, and of course wildfires, where they're rates are significantly higher than those of Utah, and they have to turn off the power. It's just not durable. It's not available. Um, Well, here we are in our market, and we have unbelievably affordable power. We have unbelievably durable power. Now, Boyd, I don't know about you. I think we're close to around the same age. I I grew up in my childhood in a small town in New Hampshire, and um, I slept with a 
flashlight next to my bed. Um, and I recognize every town in New Hampshire is small, but I, uh, and part of the reason why we slept with a uh, flashlight next to my bed is because the power just went out, right, in the 70s yeah. and 80s. The power went out. It just was one of those things. Over the last 30 years, we've done a great job as a, as a country, as a region, especially here in Utah, of ensuring that we have strong and durable power to the point where people just think that electricity comes out of the wall. There's a lack of understanding. There's a disconnect of really where our power comes from. And uh, so there's this mindset, and I appreciate it, where the vast majority of people would love our power to be cleaner, but they also don't want the trade-off of cost and durability, and neither do I. I think durability is really the most important thing we can see with our power. And so when you see California pushing for these extra renewable standards at the at the cost, at the, the trade-off for durability and affordability, it puts people in a, in a really tough position where they have to choose between food or power, or um, they they miss out on having power at a, at a key time. And so as innovation catches up, as, as renewable energy becomes more durable, and, and, and we, are, we are bullish, we're unsure, we, we don't know what the direction will, how that direction will lead, but as it becomes more durable, then it will become more affordable, and then it becomes more viable. And, and so that's just one example of that there. And I think that's so important because uh, often we do go to those ex- extremes and the and really the false choices of it all. It's either you you know you don't care about the environment and you hate science and all of that, uh, or you're you know willing to forego your your groceries you know in in the benefit of the environment. Uh, and that's really not the reality for any of us. And so uh, I want you to share with our, our listeners. You had this great example of a British cycling team that to me kind of gets it into a proper perspective in terms of, okay, what is the right approach uh, to getting those improvements? Because we do want to be stewards of the environment. We do want to leave a better place for our kids. Uh, and there's a way to do that. Yeah, that's exactly right, Boyd, and I appreciate that. I, I'm a proponent of the economics principle, the aggregation of marginal gains. Oftentimes we think about what is the big thing, the huge effort that we can do today that will change the world. And I often think that you know if we focus on efficiencies and opportunities, together we can we can uh, do great things. And the example we're talking about is, is uh, a coach named David Brailsford, who was appointed to be the head of the British uh, national cycling team about a decade ago when their team was a mess. They'd never won a, a gold medal. They'd never won a Tour de France. And and they didn't have any extra new money. They didn't. There weren't things that they could do. But he thought if they could do some small and simple things and aggregate those small and simple things together, they could really make a big difference. And so, and these are these are minimal, but they worked, right? And so you think about how well you sleep at night, and if we could improve our sleep, could we be better athletes? And they'd spend a lot of time on the road. He couldn't maybe change their mattresses, but he could do something about their pillows. So he right. invested in, in better pillows. He did the same thing with massage oils and a lot of different things. And he thought if we could aggregate that together, we could win Tour de France, so we could win gold medals. Well, and he gave them a five-year window. Within three years, they they had a, a cyclist win the Tour de France. The next year, they won the Tour de France, a different cyclist. And the 2012 Olympics, they won the majority of the gold medals. And I just think that, you know, think about energy efficiency opportunities in your home, in your car, in your business to reduce your your own personal footprint or your own emissions, that'll that'll help us uh, along the way, but also save you money. Um, and you're, you're going to be part of the long-term solution. Instead of just pointing your finger at the government and saying, what are you going to do for us? To, to sit back with your family, with your community, with your, your own business and say, well, what can we do here that might 
aggregated together, find us long-term solutions. Yeah, and, and it is those, it's those small and simple things, those seemingly insignificant things uh, that make the difference in, in, in all kinds of different things. So whether it's, it's cycling or whether it's energy or emissions or carbon footprint, uh, whatever it may be, it is those, those small things. Uh, and I do think there's a lot of people who just get exhausted by the big swings that, uh, that you were talking about. Uh, that it it just seems so impossible, so far away. Uh, that sometimes, if you can just say, "Well, just do just do this." What are some of the efficiencies we can maximize in our house? What's one thing we could do different today uh, that could make a difference? Because then ultimately, that gets us to what you've been telling us about, which is if it's durable, it becomes affordable, and then that biggest point uh, is it becomes sustainable. Uh, because just just like my diet and exercise program, I think I run out of energy before I run out of opportunity for improvement. <laughs> well, and, and you're absolutely right about false choices too, right? I mean, there are so many people out there saying, well, let's just keep everything in the ground and, and these are the big things we're going to do, not realizing that all energy comes out of the ground, right? It's half a dozen critical minerals to create a solar panel, uh, another dozen critical minerals to ensure that we have wind power, and then, of course, the battery the battery technology, which comes out of the ground, will ensure that all renewable energy is durable. And so we have to ensure that, that we're all uh, being uh, honest with each other, that we're making sure that we have all the data as it relates to making good choices, and that we're working together to find solutions. Oh, fantastic. Tom Carter uh, from uh, Governor Cox's office. He's the energy advisor. He's also the executive director of the governor's Office of Energy Development uh, appreciate this uh, really important perspective, really a crucial conversation for all of us uh, here across the state and across the country. My pleasure, Boyd. Anytime. All right. Uh, again, that's Tom Carter from uh, the uh, Cox administration. He's the executive director of the governor's Office of Energy Development. And uh, I just love Tom's approach to all of this, that, yeah, we can we can make significant changes. We can make real lasting improvements. Uh, and let's do it in the right way. And let's have the right conversations. Uh, the market is going to drive a lot of this. Sometimes when uh, we swing so big and it feels like we're you know, putting the humans at risk uh, in, in pursuit of some goal or it's going to be so expensive that the humans aren't going to be able to use it, uh, that we often end up with people kind of digging in. But if we can all recognize that the, the market can drive so many of these things, there can be great leadership there. Uh, but I keep going back to to what Tom said. You know, if it becomes a durable thing, then it becomes more affordable. And then that's where it becomes sustainable. And it's the sustainability thing that is our biggest challenge because we often give up on these big goals and these big objectives uh, because they're just so far away. They're just so far out there. And if we can all just learn to say, okay, what's what are some efficiencies that I could do in my house? What could I do? just a, a little bit different or a little bit better, uh, we all can make a difference. We're going to talk about that coming up at the end of hour number two. We're going to talk about the power of one. Uh, big thanks to our uh, colleague, Amanda Dixon, for raising this uh, in her opinion piece today. You can check that out on KSL.com. We're going to step aside for top of the hour news. Stay with us. Coming up, much more on KSL's News Radio's Inside Sources. Stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. 
Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.